Good morning, Bethany North. My name is Anna Guerrero, and I'm, I have the pleasure of preaching this wonderful message this morning. Um, I'm the director of family ministries here, and so excited to be here to share what I feel God has really laid on my heart this morning. Some of you may know that I went to Ghana in September. Um, it was my significant birthday not to be named, and uh, it was also a celebration for my dad retiring from serving an organization there for 20 years that that homes people that have disabilities and special needs and kids that are abandoned. We were in Ghana for four days uh, and had all sorts of experiences, but on the fourth day, we went to a refugee camp. It was in the center of the city of Accra, And we parked and walked through this really fragrant and loud and boisterous market. Uh, There was everything you could imagine to buy was in this spot. So we walked through it, and then we get all the way to the refugee camp. And the entrance to the refugee camp is one person wide. And then all the streets are about two people wide as you walk through these cramped little streets to get to the center where there's a church. Uh, More specifically, the church we were going to visit was a children's church. It was wonderful. We walk in the room, and there were 200-plus kids waiting for us to arrive. It was amazing. There's a photo of just half the room. And the cool part, yeah, see, that's just half. They were sitting one and two and three to a seat, and all the way around the edges, and we walk up to the front. There was a group, some of the group had served and led this VBS camp, so they knew the kids, and there was all this greeting and excitement. And Pastor Philip, who's pastored this church for six years, starts to sing with them. They start singing these beautiful songs of praise, kind of like VBS. There's hand motions, and they're so excited, and their hope and faith was contagious. And at the end, many of end of the message, many of my fellow people that were there to witness this amazing thing and had served them already shared words, words of encouragement to the kids, words of hope to the leaders, got to me, and I had no words. Um, what's significant about that is it's my job. This is my job, to share faith in Jesus with kids and youth and families. I spend all this time thinking and praying and planning for how to make things relevant. And I got there, and this beautiful moment that I really longed to give something, and I had nothing to say. But I'm a bit embarrassed to admit about that moment and what I was stuck on, why I didn't have any words was I was wrestling with my own faith in the face of theirs. I kept thinking, if I had this history, this experience, if this was my life, would I believe that God was for me in this darkness, in this captivity? Would I believe that God was good? Would I believe that God's people were good? Would I have hoped that things could get better? And I think we can all relate to those kind of questions. Because when we find ourselves in a place where we're faced with something that we don't have the answer to, sometimes we can get stuck. Like no words kind of stuck. 
we have hurts or disappointments or things that didn't work out that we thought were going to work out. And in our private moments, we wait before the Lord. And then we read a passage like this, this proclamation. This is supposed to be a proclamation of God's goodness and presence with us, a promise and a prophecy that we aren't experiencing in our past or in our present circumstances. And we wonder, how can it be true? How can it be true if I'm not experiencing it? Well, this morning I have some good news for you. Even for those of you in really hard situations and in experiencing lots of hurt this morning, because of Jesus' birth, through our authentic and broken and longing selves, God can create more than we could ever imagine. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful to be here worshiping you this morning. And we bring you our whole selves this morning, wherever we are. And we ask that um, through your faithfulness, that you would help us see where you're asking us to step into faith. That we could really live out and proclaim this goodness, your goodness, your provision over us. In Jesus' name, amen. In Luke 4, 18 and 19, we see Jesus entering the temple. And maybe this verse sounds familiar. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, he says, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He read the scroll, and he sat down. Now, this was the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. People had been experiencing this good news of Christ after he'd been away for 40 days in the desert, and he arrives in his hometown, he reads this proclamation, and he sits down, and of course, people are like, really? Jesus? And then he says this simple statement after hearing some of their questions. He says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is a manifesto for Christ followers. Verses 1 through 3 is an anointing, a proclamation. Jesus declaring himself as the Messiah, the one whom Israel has been waiting. Good news. The good news has arrived. The Messiah is here. This Scripture was meant to be a comfort for the centuries of Israelites that were waiting for the Messiah. And it's still a comfort for those of us awaiting the second coming. But as I acknowledged before, the challenge with these first three verses, and again, verses five through seven, if you continue to read on, is that we are teen and adult humans in the room, and we have had some disappointments So when we read this proclamation, we're already filtering through our minds how this reality isn't really real in our own personal experience in some way. We're remembering or experiencing something very personal with this proclamation. And we want to hope in the proclamation. The number one question I had when I read the verses, these verses, is how do I experience God's comfort 
and believe this kind of proclamation of provision. How? How does that happen? How do I receive, verse 3, the crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a spirit of, of despair? How, when I'm feeling those deep feelings, do I receive it? And the honest truth, I think we need a bigger faith. I think the answer is this step of faith. Faith like a child to be able to believe in something we cannot even imagine an end to. The question is, do we want to give God permission to be our comfort and our salvation in the midst of our longing? I'm sure many of you can attest, as I can, that God has felt the most present with me in my darkest moments, in my deepest longing, when I've allowed God to come and comfort me, there has never, ever been a bomb like that. Can anyone else say that they have felt God's presence like that near to them in those hard times? Luke 1, we have one such example. In the spirit of the season, Christmas, um, let's look at a child who had faith, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now she's approached by an angel of the Lord in Luke 1, and the angel says, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of the father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary, in faith, receives this message that she has been chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. And with all her questions, she had literal ones, like how will this even happen when I'm a virgin? And I'm sure with a bundle of fears and doubts, she accepts. In verse 138, 38, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled in me. The amazing thing to me about Mary in this scripture is that she chose she chose to receive, to be the call to the, to be called to this child's mother, the Messiah, even though she didn't know what would happen next. This is Mary's faith, what she couldn't see. Faith is trusting in something we cannot see. And in the case of the scripture today, to receive the work God has promised to do in the midst of our longings and in the midst of our trouble, we have to believe that God has more than we can imagine and that it's in God's faithfulness that, it will, that those promises will be taken care of. I loved this quote this week. In the new day predicted by Isaiah and inaugurated by the birth of Jesus, we bring to Christ our need and receive according to our faith, knowing that our faith is his greatest gift. Our faith is the Christ's is Jesus' greatest gift to us. Do you have a need this morning? Has something you trusted in fallen apart? Do you feel heartbroken? Do you come discouraged and without answers? This scripture is a promise to hold on to, to put your faith in. 
It is a prophecy for all time until the coming of Christ. Read it this week. Meditate on it. Think about what that means in your current situation and look for God, how God is going to show up to your faithfulness. In comfort and justice and joy, Christ brings good news. Good news, which leads us to our second point in your outline. To find out a bit more about this how, we have to hope together. Verse 8, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. In my faithfulness, I will reward them and make an everlasting covenant with them. The Lord in this passage reveals himself as Yehovah. Yehovah. His love of justice could also be translated, that word justice could be also translated as judgment or ordinance. This is order. This is things being right. And at the time, at the same time, this verse reveals and reaffirms the most key promises the Israelites had been waiting for. Why does this matter? Because it affirms every promise this passage has already stated and affirms that God actually cares about these injustices, about our longings. God actually cares. But it also points to something really significant. It's in God's faithfulness that the the Israelites will experience a reward, not theirs. It is in God's covenant with God's people, not theirs. It's about God's faithfulness and God's covenant that we get to step into this relationship with the Messiah with a mustard seed of faith. Now, the first thing I noticed in this entire piece of scripture is the ever-changing pronouns. Really, go back and read it. It's amazing to watch all the different voices through this scripture. And as I read it over and over and over, the intentionality started to reveal itself. Because the most beautiful pictures of the testimony of what God's work, what God wants his work to be about, was about them. It didn't happen to me or an individual experience. This is a prophecy written to the Israelites, a whole people group. And it is written to us, the church, for centuries and until Christ comes again. We have to hope in Christ together. Look at the text. This is verses 3 and 4 and verse 9. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are the people the Lord has blessed. Do you hear the promises? That God wants to do more than we could imagine through us, God's people. Now, I wouldn't be being authentic if I didn't share something vulnerable here. One of the reasons I was so wordless in Ghana is that over the last year, I've been awakened to some of the nuances of my own privilege as a white person through some, of my, some very intimate conversations with my dear and brave friends of color. I landed in Ghana with this rawness. From a, from a personal experience I had. 
And it was only amplified when I saw the centuries of slavery, where centuries of slavery was birthed. The first day we were there, we went to Cape Coast Castle. And as we're in the male slave dungeon, the guy describes that right above the male slave dungeon is where the English people worshipped God. And the visual was shocking. It was not this picture of who God's people are. You heard it said in the Good Neighbor Team video, there are more refugees now than ever. People fleeing for their lives. There's more racial and political tension now. More foster care kid, foster kids in the, ki- in the system. More human trafficking than ever before. There's more homelessness in our city than ever before. And the gap between rich and poor is getting wider all across the world. Suicide is the second highest cause of death in our teens. And we as a nation are lonelier than ever if God loves justice and hates iniquity and robbery. Then how are we, we called to participate in proclaiming that hope? How will we be the people described in the verses I read above by the prophets in our time, in this season of the church? We have to be the good news to the broken and hurting world around us by the way we live and how we love like Christ, by encouraging each other when life feels like ashes. We can be the oil of gladness in the midst of one another's mourning. We can can praise God together in the midst of despair because we hold on to faith and believe God cares, which will bring more than what we could ever imagine or do on our own to these horrible situations happening all around us. Maybe you feel alone or unseen this morning and on this journey, and maybe your experience of the church is not what I've described above. I am sorry to say that is not God's intent. We are supposed to be the hope of Christ together. Now, sticking with the same story, after Mary hears that she is to be the mother of the Messiah, the next thing she did was pack up her things and went to be with Elizabeth, who was also impossibly pregnant with John the Baptist. I can't imagine Mary's feelings as she's going to visit her cousin Elizabeth. All the doubts and fears of this faith step that she took, the baby is in her tummy, this is moving forward. And she still doesn't have answers about what happens next. She steps in to be received by Elizabeth, and it says John the Baptist jumped in Elizabeth's belly, proclaiming the Messiah. Mary didn't even have to worry about if Elizabeth would, ha- would believe her, because John the Baptist became the witness, and Elizabeth and Zechariah welcomed Mary in the midst of what could have been called scandal into their home. Zechariah had no words, if you remember. That's another amazing story. And they stood together in hope for three months. I can imagine the conversation back and forth as they both awaited what was coming, wondering how this would work out. But they hoped together. What a beautiful picture 
that in the midst of her dark and hard place, this fear that could have crippled her, of what she had just accepted in faith, she went to be with people that could hope with her. If we, the church, were to do this, to have faith in God's way and hope together, oh, what a reflection of God's splendor we would be in the world around us. Which leads to my final point, proclaiming God's faithfulness. Verse 9. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. This word descendants in verse 9 can also be translated as seed. The word is zerah, seed. But it's different than the word for offspring later in the verse. We know it takes a seed for a baby to grow if you don't come talk to me afterwards. Hence this word descendants. But look at the seed in the context of the final promise in verse 11. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and the garden causes the seed to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. The seed does not come up on its own. The garden and the soil do the work, just like our seed of faithfulness cannot be on its own. It's God's work through us that causes the growth, God's faithfulness to us that causes this growth to happen, to become, to proclaim this glory to around us. And it's us, through faith, trusting that God can do with us more than what we could ever imagine. Church, God wants to do more through you in your deepest longings, in your darkest places than you could ever imagine. Not without them, with them, through them. But growth and change take time. Gardeners in the room, they know this. When they watch this little seed watering it faithfully every day till the sprout comes up. And that's just the start. It has to become an actual plant and live and give fruit. Parents, we know this. It takes daily tending to our children, loving them, leading them in faith. And we watch them slowly grow up. Counselors know this as they sit with people in broken places. This doesn't happen in a moment. It happens through slow healing, faithfulness, faithfulness to show up. Now, all adults in the room, you know my title. I introduced myself as the director of family ministries. You know I couldn't let it go. There's this call to our descendants that our offspring will be, this part, will be part of our witness. There are 200 plus kids a week walking through our halls, watching us. And they're looking for how they belong here. And how we love each other. How we hope together when we're in hard places. They're watching They want to know if this is the faith they can belong to. If when their hard times hit, 
that we'll be with them together in their darkness, in their hard times. How we do this together is a witness to not just each other, but to this generation and their children's children. This is what this passage is calling, that our faithfulness to step out in faith, even in our hard times, is a witness to the generations. It's a clear invitation to evaluate how you're participating in that call. How are you casting vision and being the hope for this generation? Because they're watching. And it's so important that they see us love each other and hope together well. When Bethany North started with the gift of so many children, even on the very first week, I was eight months pregnant with my third child. It was a few months into the start of our church. I felt this unexplainable and undeniable call to shepherd this generation. I was terrified, seriously. I felt ill-equipped. I didn't feel like the person that should do this job. I was worried about my family and what this would mean for them. I was worried about lost weekends away. I was worried about all these things, but in the end, there was no denying it. I had to step forward in faith. Later, Scott and I would dream about, what if we had a hundred kids? Can you imagine the impact on the world we could have discipling a hundred kids in our midst? Wouldn't that be amazing? Because we believed that that was one of the most important calls of our church. And then it became 150. And then it became 200. And now 300 plus kids call our church home a month. 300. Can you imagine the impact on our world? I dream about it. I'm so excited for what they get to do and what we get to do as we pass along this faith. What's the point? I could never have imagined what stepping out in faith would look like. Frankly, my vision would have been too small. But even with that small step of faith, that seed, God did something that is a display of God's splendor, not mine. God wanted to do more through me than I could ever imagine. And by the way, I cannot and never will be able to do this on my own. We have, 100, we have 80 to 100 leaders a month loving and shepherding kids all around us. And this really creative staff that has a glow stick party going on today because they want to tell, they want kids to know that, it's, that Jesus is the light of the world. How fun is that? That's fun. We do not know the impact our church will have. We don't know. We're called to step into faith and to trust in God's faithfulness and the story that God is writing through each of us as we hope together. Now back to my story in Ghana. The service was done. All the people had shared these beautiful words of blessing. Remember, I had had no words. And this note was passed up to Pastor Philip, and he read it very quickly, and he said, Hold on! 
We have one more celebration. And we're like, one more celebration. He said, it is Auntie Anna's birthday. And we need to sing her happy birthday and bless her. It was not my birthday. (laughs) I was there for my birthday trip, but it was not my birthday. And no one can stop 200 kids from singing. That was not going to happen, and I knew it. And all the thoughts that were going through my head was, I didn't get to bless them. I longed to say something encouraging. I wanted to sing over them. And all I could do was stand and receive God's delight in me, a gift that I could never, ever have imagined was a God, what God wanted to do in those moments. They sang happy birthday, and they sang, may God bless you. And I stood there with my hands right here, kids holding them as tears streamed down my face. And then they sang it again. <laughs> the whole thing again. Happy birthday. May God bless you. And then they raised their hands and prayed. They blessed me so that I could proclaim good news. God can do more than we could ever ask or imagine, even in our darkest places, in our longing, when we don't have words in our brokenness. God can do something more than we can ever ask or imagine because of God's faithfulness, not ours. It was my biggest gift to be present and receive Christ's presence and experience it in the midst of these beautiful children that had faith and hope in God and caused my faith and hope in God to grow. What a gift. Because of Jesus' birth, because the Messiah came through our authentic and broken and longing selves, God can do more than we could ever ask Or imagine, where do you need to receive faith this morning? Faith is a gift. It's given for you to receive. And it's answered through God's faithfulness. All you have to do is step out and receive this faith in the midst of your darkness, in the midst of your hurt. Where can God be with you and work through you in the midst of where you are today? I'd like to call the worship team to come forward. As we sing these songs, where do you need to invite God back in to your life? To have faith. Faith in something you cannot see an end to. Faith in where you feel hopeless. God wants to bring hope today. Jesus, let's pray. Lord, we are humbled by your gift that you so freely give to us to receive this faith through your son Jesus, the Messiah that came to save. So through you, through you, Lord, Through your work, the world can see what a good God you are and that you're with us 
and comfort us even in our darkest times. Oh, that we could proclaim the hope of your coming, Lord. Oh, that we could be a generation that displays your beauty and your faithfulness. In Jesus' name. If you want to receive prayer, there's prayer team down here in the front. People that can stand with you and hope with you and pray with you today. Let's worship.